Empire podcast this week, Slaughterhouse Rules' head boys, producers and stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost pop in for a raucous chat. All that and more on the movie podcast that is still laughing at the play that goes wrong. Let's hope this doesn't become the pod that goes wrong, right? Right? But then, how, how will we tell? Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, a lady for whom going on a marathon means more than just queuing up a bunch of supernatural episodes where <laughs> Sam or Dean takes its shirt off. No, she goes <laughs> the entity known as Sam or Dean. I see. With its four nipples and its two innyouties. Uh Belly button, not... No, a, anyway. please stop. No, she goes on an actual marathon instead and did one yesterday, the bloody maniac, the marathon maniac. You're like Eddie Izzard, but stretched out over a longer period of time. Yes, to make it easier. Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm in pain. <laughs> I'm in a lot of pain. Everything hurts. I'm dying. I feel like Will Ferrell in Austin Powers after he's been flung into a pit. I'm very <laughs> badly sh- burned. <laughs> you shot me. You shot me in the arm. Uh, where did you run? You actually did run a marathon yesterday. This makes it how many this year? Yeah. Uh, this is 11 so far this year. Christ almighty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do 12 and 12 and I've got a few that I've booked in so I can, you know, even if one goes horribly wrong, I've still got time to finish, hopefully. So, yeah. How many marathons have you run, Nick Dissemlian? Um I've done a 24 marathon, but that was just <laughs> sitting down, but I've not run a marathon. I've done a 10K. Okay, I've done a 10K, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that, you know, go us. Marathon shits on a 10K. It does. Yeah, Marathon slaps 10K around the chops. Well, we, we try not to, you know. Yeah. Uh, where was it yesterday? Where did you go? Uh, it was a Samfire Ho near Dover. Um, Sorry, you say where? What? It was Samfire what? Ho. <laughs> Samfire Ho. Samfire Ho. It's so near the many punchlines. I know. It's yeah. near the White Cliffs. It's very pretty. Good. Yeah. Good. Mm. Well done. Well done I'm on impressed. that one. That's very good. That's very good indeed. Blimey O'Reilly. Uh, next up on the show, you've already heard him. I've already introduced him by name, but he is a man. He is, I mean, he's our very own A-lister, isn't he? He's our very own little sprinkle of gold dust, a little bit of stardust on this podcast. If anyone from this podcast is going to get star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it's almost certainly going to be this man. He is Edmund. I've already actually put my own down, but it keeps getting jackhammered into oblivion by people. Um, keeps getting washed away by the rain. Yeah, yeah. It, it Edmund hasn't, hasn't in Jurassic lasted. Park. No, not Jurassic Park. Unless you've gone back and you've CG'd yourself into it. I am working on the restoration, the, the 4K Edmund cut. Um, I think, uh, think the Semlin, obviously, who could be seen briefly in Jurassic World. I think you should go back and reinsert yourself at the Jurassic Park. You should be, <laughs> you should be the voice of Mr. DNA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how old would... Yeah, uh, Edmund would be 13 at that point. <laughs> it's very possible that he could, be, he could be added to every scene. You could replace Tim. Yeah, yes. No one could no, replace he's, Tim. He's Come good. On. He's good. Just imagine if you had gone back in time and replaced Joseph Masello on the on the set of Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. right? Just think the, the the trajectory that your that your career would have gone on. You 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 would be playing John Deacon in Bohemian Rhapsody mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. and he would be sitting here looking slightly <laughs> bewildered. <laughs> Mamma mia! On a podcast? No, no, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, sorry, so easy. <laughs> very very different film. Although both similar in some ways. In some ways. In featuring music, for example. Music by people. There we go. No, he's good. I don't want to replace him. He was great in uh, uh, the Pacific and many other things. So I'm not going to replace you him. You would be good in the Pacific. Thanks, man. I would, would get be gunned really down good. within seconds. Hey, have you there? <laughs> it's like, says you're the lead. What's just, <laughs> what's just happened? Um, uh, who has seen The Planet Goes Wrong? 
I have seen the play that goes wrong. Have you seen the play that goes I wrong? I have seen the play that went wrong. It went, it goes, yeah. I can't say it, it, it but I've seen it. When he saw it. It's, wow. it's amazing. It's amazing. The, the night, a... night Nick went, it went right. <laughs> I saw <laughs> it with you. So this is, this is did. A, did you? I'm sure we did. Yeah. No. yeah I'm sure I we saw did. it. No, did I saw it. Peter Pan Goes Wrong or something? Peter Pan Goes Wrong is what we saw together. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was counting it as a single entity. <laughs> but they're all amazing. They're, they're, they're really all good. Amazing. Yeah, I went for a phase where I was a bit obsessed with, with uh, that production. Um, mm. I want to see it on Broadway. Yeah, I wanted JJ to, yeah. Abrams produced. Uh, yeah, this still, I think it is still going on Broadway. And uh, I wanted to go see it last year when I was in New York with my drinking game wife. And uh, but the original cast had since left. The original cast of this mischief theater, and they mm-hmm. have a, a whole bunch of stuff. So they've got the play that goes wrong. They've yep. got the comedy about a bank robbery, which yep. is brilliant and clever, although stumbles a bit towards the end. And uh, they had Peter Pan goes wrong, which is uh, Christmas production, the funniest it's of so the three. Good. And it doesn't seem to be coming back. They in the also West End. they mm. used to do improv nights as well, which were fantastic. I went to one of those. And they really, were absolutely brilliant. If those come back, get a ticket. Oh my god! There you go, mischief theatre. Well done. Plainly goes wrong. Saw mm. for the third time last night, and it is brilliant. <laughs> it still, still didn't go right. So good. No, it's amazing. <laughs> they haven't fixed that set. They haven't sorted <laughs> out the flubs in the script. Mm. No one knows their lines. It's. <laughs> It's, yeah. a, it's a whole thing. I just love the, the jokes at the beginning about, you know, I'm just so glad we have enough cast members this year, uh, unlike last year where we did Chekhov's Two Sisters. Yes. <laughs> and of course, our Andrew Lloyd Webber production, <laughs> Cat. <laughs> but that's it. That's the only two jokes we're going to spoil from the play that goes wrong. Uh, it is an awesome experience. Go and check it out, if you will. Um, right. So we have a question. Uh, this question comes from Twitter. It comes from at Luke. F underscore B, a new question asker on the podcast. Always nice to have one of those. And Luke poses this little brain teaser. (laughs) With the most recent A Star Is Born being the third iteration of that movie. Fourth. Fourth. Yeah, come on, Luke. Sort it out, mate. Because I just made one. (laughs) (laughs) This morning. It stars Nick and Joseph (laughs) Masello together. I get gunned down within seconds. <laughs> but um, no, there was a, there was a, a fourth one, which uh, no one can remember. But All right, so there's a one with Frederick March. That's the fourth one he's thinking. Okay. Then yeah. there's the... Um, Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Judy Garland. James, James Mason. Please one. don't. Yeah. Yep. Then there's the Chris Robertson and... Um, Babs. Which Babs. I've not seen, but there's been a lot of people talking about it and talking about it. I think it's the closest one to... This one, in some ways, I've seen a lot of people complaining about the music in that one, saying the music's terrible. Is that true? Which is which is weird, given the people starring in it. But yeah, it's not their best work either of them. Mm. I don't think musically. I mean, obviously, his best work filmically is is Blade. Um, <laughs> I think we could all agree. So. I think we can all agree. And and her best thing she's done is everything because she is a flawless goddess. Is it though? Yep. Is it though? Yep. I even like Yenta. Yentl. Yentl. <laughs> so much so you got the name wrong. Yeah. Well, that's Yentl often comes up as a crossword answer. Anyway. All right. Do you like The Mirror Has Two Faces? I mean, I don't love it, but I still hold it in high esteem. Do you like <laughs> Prince of Tides? I, I do because one of my, I went to see it with a bunch of friends because we were 12 and it was a 12A and we thought we were being, you know, risque here. We're going to see this. I know I have very fond memories of the film. Anyway, she's also Hello Dolly, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, listen, so, I, I, hey. I love Barbara Streisand. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But I'm just saying, do you love every movie she's ever made? Do you love The Guilt Trip? It's, I get, I mean, you know, look, I just, I don't think this has to You're be... You're lawyering up now, Helen. <laughs> I don't think this has to be an entirely defensible position for me to take it. Do you love What's Up, Doc? That's a good film. That's a good film. That's a trick question because <laughs> everyone loves What's Up, Doc. 
and inspired a scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Boom. Yes, which Booyah. surpassed it in every way. Oh my God. As Ant-Man and the Wasp did with so many movies, surpassing them in every way. Bullet, surpassed in every way. Ant-Man, surpassed in every way. The Wasp. <laughs> I'm going to do a mini intervention. This is not answering the question at all. Oh, I haven't even asked a question. Okay. Yeah. Ask the question. With the most recent A Star Is Born being the third iteration of that movie. Fourth. fourth. What other remake would you like to see remade again? I have a definitive oh. answer to this. So if you guys want to go first, I'll no, just no, 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 please, end. please give you the answer. Um, it's a film that's been already been remade even more than A Star Is Born, or at least as much as A Star Is Born. Let me guess. Go ahead. The front page. That's right. I'm very obvious. It is the front page. <laughs> so that was originally made as the front page yes. from the play. Then it became His Girl Friday, one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it was the front page. Mm-hmm. And then it was Switching Channels. Switching Channels. Who remembers so, Switching Channels? Burt Reynolds. I do. It was great. Kathleen Turner. And Christopher Reeve. And Christopher Reeve uh, uh, having a, uh, an episode in the lift because Burt Reynolds tricks him into going to the lift. Wow. In the Ralph Bellamy role, if you will. In the from, Ralph from Bellamy from his role. Yeah, as a fellow who looks like Ralph Bellamy. A yeah. fellow who looks a lot like Christopher Reeve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic story. And it hasn't been done since the 80s. We are due. Our, our generation deserves... Um, a new front page. Who would you? Who would you cast? Obviously, it'd be a front page of the internet. But you know, what's your, what's your vision for it? Who would you? Who would you put in it? <laughs> Go period, um, right? Go period. Yeah. So that papers no. still exist. No, I actually wouldn't. I'd, I'd try and update it again in the way that switching channels maybe did. But you could do it. But you still do it with a paper. Right. But you could you could do it with you know like the New York Times has been doing great ex- investigations recently. The Guardian, the Washington Post, they have been invest. They are still investigating things. Buy, buy newspapers, kids. And magazines. And magazines. And magazines. We'll get to that later on, but magazines are, are important. Uh, there's one magazine in particular that... Oh, what's it called? Um, is it... I don't know. Total... Sight and... No, I don't think so. Little, little... No. Identification... No. Film story... No. I'm sure it'll come to us. It'll come to us. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there in the end. But this is exciting. So can I suggest some casting? Please. Chris Pine. Chris Pine is the rakish editor of a food magazine who receives an email <laughs> proposing vegan recipes from this charming, beguiling lady played by Holiday Granger. I think what you have there is a he generic sends back, rom-com, but okay, okay. go ahead. So he you, sends I, back a, a response that is controversial and gets into the news and then he has to resign <laughs> in... What? No? This is, I mean, it's ripped from the headlines, Chris. Is it? It is, but it's... Damn um, it! I've been sitting on this pitch for 25 years. <laughs> it's not quite the front page. Is it? Okay. No, so you, no. need to, you need to cast this based on how fast people can talk, right? Yes, they you need, need to, to bring back to, the high-speed yeah. dialogue. So yeah. uh, who is the fastest? And you need a really sharp script. And you probably need actors who will do what Rosalind Russell did, which is basically take away the script every night and plus it. And she basically would go away. What does that mean? And she would plus it. Plus it, she would uh, make it better. She would just add the word plus to every sentence. No. And then you had to cut that out. It's, it was really annoying. It's a Pixar term, Chris. Come on, get with the program here. It's No, it's, it basically means you make it better. So she would basically go away with her. I think it was a screenwriter How brother. Presumptuous. Come on, you know, you know presumptuous. Pixar works. How dare, how dare Rosalind Russell? You bring her in here. That's disgraceful. Those writers bust their balls in that script to get it as good as it can possibly be. And in comes a hoity-toity actor just Who to make stuff up on the fly. Makes it better. What, by saying it? By yeah. saying the words? Yeah. Oh, and, oh, oh, did she, will she rewrite Shakespeare? Bring her in here. Get her in here. I would love to, if, I, if that were possible. I'm going to have words with this so-called Rosalind Russell if that is her real name. 
I'm actually not sure whether it was or not. I Get Karina Longworth in here. We need to find out <laughs> if that is her real name. Anyway, yes, please anyway, continue. Yeah. So, um, so she would basically take away her dialogue and punch it up overnight. And, uh, and they, um, basically was coming in and Hardhawks would be like, so what have you got for us today? And she'd, you know, deliver that magic. It was amazing. Yeah. I think you need people who are going to be that sort of committed to the role a little bit. And I would almost have, if possible, the actors working with the scripters to make sure that everybody is as sharp and as focused and as on the ball, on the ball as possible. This is anarchy. It is. I feel like you could cast anyone from the Gilmore Girls because they probably talk faster than... They do, genuinely, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyone from that would be fine. I mean, I do think there's a lot of very smart people in Hollywood, so you just need somebody really smart in yeah. both roles. Were. Aaron Sorkin be... could write it. Oh, yeah, that's good. No, I want... If he is, he needs, uh, he needs a really opinionated female screenwriter with mm. him because I think he's not always great at women. Okay. Um, so... Apart from the four-star masterpiece that is Molly's Game, obviously. Three stars. Don't even get me started. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, so I would bring in somebody to work with him if he was going to do it. Okay, um, okay. That is a good answer, possibly definitive. But I'm going to throw a couple of other things into I'm, the I'm going to throw some casting suggestions in real quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Anna Kendrick, fastest yep. talker in Hollywood... Kristen Bell, possibly the second fastest talker in Hollywood. Both very strong options. Mm. Very strong. In The Good Place, the amount of exposition she delivers at a right or clip. And having listened to The Good Place, a podcast, I found this incredible Kristen Bell fact. She delivers all her dialogue with a piece of bubblegum in her mouth. Wow. Yeah, at all times, she always has a piece of bubblegum in her mouth. So when she's doing those incredible reams of exposition, it's presumably, I guess, is to distract her or yeah, to... Yeah. Make sure that she keeps it in one side of the mouth and that she's always enunciating because she's got bubblegum. But you never fact. see it. You never see That's it. That's a great so. fact. So, so well, who's then. the fastest talking guy in Hollywood? Whew. I mean, I think Pine is not a bad option, actually, mm. for that. I think he mm-hmm. would be, because he's, he's got that intelligence that kind of comes across on screen. Um, I know who the fastest talking guy in Hollywood is. Please tell me. It's Robert Downey Jr. He's too old for either, any of those actresses, though. I'm not so sure that he no, is. No, he is. No, I'm, I'm done with... I'm not having I'm, the I'm front page... I'm with Helen on this. ...having a 20-year age gap. I'm sorry, um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I have no problem with that age gap because that's, yes, that's something, that, something that can you're happen... Yes, I know, you No, it's something that happens in real life all the no, time. No, but I won't... Yeah, because it... No, I just won't lie. Also, she's... Kristen Bell's, what, mid-30s? He's early 50s? No, I'm with that's Helen. I'm, I'm, I'm with Helen on no. this. I'm with Helen on not this. Not lying. It, it makes it weird. Right, so... I don't know if this answers the question um, because it's technically based on a series of books, but famous for a film. Conan, okay. the, Conan the Barbarian. There are like 50 books. Yep. Conan books. Yep. And I've started reading them and they're really fun and they've got great monsters and I don't think it has been done justice on the screen using like modern technology. Okay. I think there could be an awesome Conan film. Interesting. Interesting. The so, last one was not awesome. It was not. God bless Jason Momoa who seems lovely but no, it was but not. But they took all the fun out of it. Yeah. They took all the monsters and the, you know... The, the real pulpy kind of not silliness because the books kind of t- were quite serious on their own sort of mm. thing but no I think that could be a really fun one I don't know who plays him who would you cast as Conan it would have to be someone Robert Downey Jr <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, you know he's a he's a fast talking wise cracking Conan the Barbarian <laughs> I just want you to listen to yourself for a minute <laughs> you, know, you know I want you to say Robert Downey Jr. as Conan the Barbarian. Robert Downey Jr. with a straight face. Robert, okay, <laughs> he may have to work out. Okay, yeah. CG muscles. CG muscles. CG muscles. Why not? Uh, <laughs> or just a large sort of bodysuit like Michael Sarah wears in Arrested Development. Just big sort of foam padding. 
One of the main reasons why the John Milius Conan the Barbarian is as long as it is is because Arnold took so long to say the 12 lines that he had. So <laughs> if you give those lines to Downey, then he's going to race through them. You know, he wants to crush his enemy, see them driven before him, he'll let them of the women. And then he'll, he'll wisecrack something about like a, a milkshake and then off he goes to the races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No? I'll tell you what I would like to see is Cohen the Barbarian with an E um, who's a Terry Pratchett character <laughs> who is a barbarian that has survived everything thrown against him and is now an extraordinarily old man mm. but he's still the toughest guy in the world mm. so like older than you think a man could possibly be but still able to just beat everyone I think that would be a really fun film. That sounds film. great. But that isn't a remake, so it doesn't answer that the That sounds question. great. I need to read some Terry Pratchett. You gave me like a flowchart. I did. About five <laughs> years ago, and I still need to read some Terry Pratchett. Well, we're going to get on to Terry Pratchett later in the podcast when oh, we get okay. to news. Oh, Spoiler. Okay. It's exciting. And one other thing I'm going to throw out, uh, uh-huh. The Day the Earth Stood Still, which they did remake. They, they Not did. well. Uh, John Hamm, that was a very early role for John Hamm as a scientist. It was. Um, I interviewed and him And Keanu is an alien, which was wonderful casting. Keanu was... Possibly not wonderful casting. It was wonderful I, I casting. Can... It wasn't wonderful execution. <laughs> but I think I, I think the message of the the kind of the original film is really kind of good for yeah. the time we're living in. Um, you know, mankind fucking everything up and aliens coming and the way that humans react to them. And I think that it's it's got a topicality to it. And I think again with the the effects you can do now, you could have yeah. performance capture aliens and gort and all kinds of stuff. So I think it would be good. All right. Bloody hell. Clatu barada nicto. Indeed. Cat open, pigeons everywhere. Is that the phrase? <laughs> is, is that the phrase? I think that's it the phrase. It should be. <laughs> yeah, it should be the phrase. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the phrase. I think the time is right for the thing to be remade again because the thing itself, obviously, mm-hmm. is a remake of uh, the thing from another world, Christian Nyby and uh, our good chum again, Howard Hawks. I don't think you can improve on it. I don't think you can improve on the Carpenter one because what are they going to do? They're going to use CG for um, for the monster and mm-hmm. there is no way a CG thing will be better than the Rob Bowden one. Maybe. There's no way. Maybe. How can you improve that film? By making it better. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not suggesting a pitch. You're, but you're saying like, Robert Downey Jr. instead of Kurt Russell. Have you seen, <laughs> yes, Robert Downey Jr. playing all the roles... Therefore, Helen's age gap thing gets removed because, you know, he's Oh, he can romance himself. He's bonding with himself. Can I just say, hang on a second here, and I know we're all being progressive and it's wonderful, but are you really going to deny Robert Downey Jr. a role based on his age? Think carefully before you answer that question. Lawyer up! I'm not saying he can't play a role based on his age. I am Uh saying he can't play a role opposite those actors. Uh Now, if you want to cast, I don't know, an Alison Janney or somebody in the female lead, who, Uh by the way, would be amazing in a front-page remake, and in fact, she should play the editor and they should get Robert Downey Jr. in in the Hildy Johnson role, that would be incredible. I like it. That's fine. Yeah. What I'm what I'm objecting to is the Uh normalisation of vastly older men with vastly younger women in Hollywood. But he doesn't look his age, yes, Helen. Yes, he does. He doesn't. Actually. He looks like he's he looks early forties. Like extraordinarily handsome I'm, older man. I'm with Helen. I think we already have enough films where you have like a sixty-something. Is he sixty? Fifty? Late fifties? He's, like, he's late fifties. Yeah, early fifties. Um, there's already enough of those. My God, you bloody ageists! I, I, you think you know someone? You think you work with them for so long, and then they just reveal their true colours on a podcast. But this is this is one of my things. I think genuinely, um, I actually think women as a rule should never date older men. 
Thank uh, God think... you finished that sentence. I was trying to say, <laughs> otherwise, you're just dooming the human race. No, the I human think, race. The human race. The, hum, the human race. Because I think it would it would be extremely good socially if women never ever dated older men. Heart wants one to one, Helen. Holland, I can't speak. No, but the, the, it's the normalisation of it that I object to, and um, I I think we would be better off basically. Uh, no, I, it's a perfectly valid point, and I absolutely totally get it. But uh, are you I, Robert I, Downey Jr.'s agent? <laughs> like, what, oh, man. what is your like? You've got some kind of angle here. It's weird. Let's move I, on from Robert Downey. I just want to save Ukraine. him from his Marvel misery. I mean, we've all we're, we're all he's a little stopped, bit bored with those movies, aren't we? <laughs> am, I, am I right? He's playing Doctor Doolittle. He's going on a voyage. It's all good. Yeah, he's he's, he's perfectly happy. Uh, alongside Anna Kendrick, I believe. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, one remake that has been remade constantly that should be remade again. Um, and okay, the thing was a bad, a bad example. <laughs> I, I will grant you that. That's that's totally fine. The thing is a bad example because the thing is a perfect movie. But what I meant was that the Arctic is always creepy. It's always a cool setting, mm. and you can do a lot even these days with prosthetics that have progressed beyond what Rob Bottin did back in 1981-82. So that's cool. But also I think you can make it more... We're in very, very dark and dangerous times and there's lots of paranoia in the world and about the environment and the, you know, the, the ice is literally disappearing from us. And so mm. there's something there. There's something there that can be mined, I think. And also, ripped from the headlines, you have people going nuts in the Arctic Avenue and stabbing uh, their colleagues because... They keep giving away the ending of books. Quite apparently. reasonably. <laughs> Quite reasonably. People stabbing their colleagues. We probably shouldn't talk about this in that, this podcast. No, we shouldn't. Um, a kid in uh, Siberia contracted anthrax from um, a thawed out body from like 100 years ago. Wow, really? Yeah. Mm. So it is kind of happening. It also, is. a scientist, in, did you see this? A scientist injected himself with like three million year old bacteria just to see what would happen. <laughs> Has Luckily, he not seen the swarm? <laughs> I, like, has he not seen the thing? No like, I don't understand. So, yeah. What happened? Nothing. Well, there's nothing bad so far. What is he doing? But, well, quite. That's, that's, that's not really good science, answer. just sort of injecting yourself with stuff to see what happens. That's so, apart fine. from the thing, what are you saying? Okay. So, what I'm saying is, apart from the thing, uh, by the way, in the swarm, Henry Fonda injects himself with uh, wasp venom to try and see how. It'll, the effects it'll have on his body and the idiot dies. Anyway, so... It's like, really? It's one of the stupidest deaths in movie history. It's ridiculous. Um, in a very, very stupid film. I always thought the base were our French. Um, right, so... the Never remake. trust the base. <laughs> I found you. I found the base. It was a bait. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> the remake I'm going to suggest is Brewster's Millions. And that's already a remake. That's already a remake. Already a remake. Yes. The Walter Hill Richard Pryor uh, movie. It was first mm. made in 1921. Mm. Uh, no, I tell a lie. It was first directed in 1914. I knew this. Oh. Obviously, it wasn't just googling this. Uh, directed by Cecil B. DeMille and Oscar Apfel. Uh, then remade again in 1921. Remade again in 1935. Really? Remade again in 1945. Cecil B. DeMille's Brewster's Millions <laughs> yes. is the thing that exists. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I really want to dig that out now. Uh, remade again, but with a name change in 1961 by Sidney J. Fury as Three on a Spree. That's good. Pretty sure I've seen that. Solid film. title. Uh. And then remade again, obviously, in 1985 as Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor and John Candy. It was a big film for me growing up. Yeah, I remember loving it. Yeah. I'd, mm, yeah. I wonder, you'd have to do a bit of rewriting to make it palatable to people because we all have no money now and watching somebody fritter away money doesn't 
looked brilliant. But still which a- I know is part of the point of the f- film. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they would need a little bit of a nod to that, I think. So there's still the wish fulfillment thing, though, because you know, I, one thing I the kick I always got because I've never had money, and the thing I, the kick I've always had from Bruce's Millions is watching someone who is in my situation having no money going to a situation where the opposite is true, which is. Um, uh, let me get a calculator out. Money. Having money, thank you, Helen. And it's just great. And Pryor really sells it. It's yeah. really funny. John Candy's great as well. And it has that sort of ticking clock thing. Uh, there's a nefarious villain. Uh, it's all good. It's good stuff. So he has to speak in. Here's three hundred million, right, in the 1985 version. And in order to get that, he has to spend thirty million in thirty days. But he, there's rules and regulations yeah, about he what he can do. Can't tell anybody what he's doing. He can't. Yeah. He can't, um, he can't just, just give it away. To, yeah. Can't give it away. Um, he he has to just squander it completely, down to the last penny. Yes. Um, as fast as possible. So he, he does things like buy a baseball team and he runs for office under the ticket uh, vote for none of the above, which again feels like it could be very relevant <laughs> today. True. And, you know, so it's not qu- simply a question of just changing the amount of money that he inherits. It could be really fun and it could be a really nice vehicle as well for a really good, sharp, fast talking actor. I don't know. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh, maybe. God. He's going, to be Look, a, he's going to be a busy guy over the next year. I know his Marvel contract is coming to an end, but Chris, he's going to be <laughs> Don't okay. Don't you say that! He's going Don't to you be, say that! He's going to be fine. So it's a film about him spending all of his Marvel money. <laughs> he's got to spend all the money he's made on that Marvel films. That would be hilarious. In How hours. meta would that be? It would be good. Yes, it's he should like play himself. Kevin Feige calls him in and says, we're going to give you your percentage of Infinity War, but uh-huh. first you have to spend all the money you got from Age of Ultron. Oh my God. That's good. Downey That's good. Jr.'s millions. I am so That's there good. for that. And perhaps, I don't know, Anna Kendrick could be the well-meaning... No. Has that question been answered to everyone's uh, satisfaction? Exhaustively so. and exhaustingly. Okay, good. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast as Luke at Luke F underscore B, the finest member of the F underscore B family, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, as he did to his satisfaction, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine. You can use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we won't see it. You can Facebook us as Emperor Magazine. Nick, you're exposing a lot of your belly to me right now. Is this like, a, what, what is this, what's going on? It's yawning, sorry. I'm, I'm 60% Lemsip at the moment, so. Okay, fair enough. And uh, you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. How exciting. <laughs> How exciting. Okay, let's now go seamlessly into movie news. That's a lot of fun, isn't it? We like movie news. What's been happening this week? Got some big news. Bring Ooh, it. Going to lead off with it. You're pregnant. Stephen Merchant dressed oh. as Doctor Strange for Halloween. <laughs> I've got the photo. I've that just, is the story. That I've matters. just seen it. Let me see. <laughs> Let's see. That is delightful. Stephen Merchant has tweeted a photo of himself wearing a cape and um, doing all kinds of sort of sorcery. But in other uh, good, in other famous people dressing up stuff news, uh, Henry Cavill was this week revealed in his role in The Witcher. He plays Geralt of Rivia. Is that how you pronounce it? Geralt. I see, I Geralt. don't know. I just call I'm him Jerry. Alternate. Yeah. <laughs> or Gary. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, I feel like you may know more. You may have more sort of Rivia alas, trivia. Alas, no, I leave that to, to Jimbo. Um, I, haven't, I haven't read these books yet, although I do plan to before the show comes out. Um, That'll take you about a week, won't it? About that. Yeah. He, he looks a bit anime so he's got, he's got long sort of if you haven't he's got seen long if you, silver hair if you ha- haven't seen this he's got lustrous 
Legolas style locks. Um, and he's wearing a kind of leather jerkin. Yeah, he's like he's like Legolas's <laughs> slightly goth brother. Yes, but but much bigger. Did you see the video as well? It's I did not. It's not just a still image. It, there is also a video of him drinking a potion. He drinks a potion. <laughs> he walks towards the camera. Yeah. He looks into the camera. He lifts a vial of potion and he drinks it, and that is the video. And it was it was quite moving when I saw it on the train this morning. You sound like you had quite a reaction to this video. I just, I don't know much about this project, but I'm on board based mm-hmm. on that clip. So The Witcher was originally a series of books, then it was mm-hmm. a series of video games, mm-hmm. and it's now a TV series. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's got sorcery, and it's got dark magic, and a princess in trouble. And a bloke in a bad wig. And, and, <laughs> and Geralt of Rivia. And that's about all I know, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm it. intrigued. It's yeah. shooting in Hungary, I think, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Right now, there is po- there are potions being drunk. <laughs> right now, uh, eight part series and uh, yeah. um, maybe the first of many. And I think it's interesting that Cavill has signed up for this because after Mission Impossible Fallout, he was hotter than hot. And rather than than parlay that into a, a movie career, perhaps starting in a remake of the front page, who knows? <laughs> Uh, he instead decided to go because he's a huge gamer. He's Massive a huge gamer, gamer. literally thing. and figuratively a huge gamer. And that's the thing. I think this is a passion project. I remember um, Empire Awards maybe four years ago or so. He came to the Empire Awards and he was at the after party and he was standing by the bar. And I remember he he started talking to everyone about his favourite RPG video games. And <laughs> he's incredibly nerdy. And you just look at him and you don't expect it. But I remember when we did that weird interview with him on the podcast for um, Justice League, where he couldn't say he was in the film and we Mm -hmm. couldn't ask him if he was in the film. Mm -hmm. And we ended up just talking about his favourite sort of fantasy video games. But he's he's delightfully nerdy, I'd say. Do you remember he described his uh, setup to us, uh, not in a sex way, but in the way that he plays his video games, his gaming setup. He described it to us and you and I were lost instantly. Yeah, his kind of the mainframe (laughs) that he had. And yeah, yeah. Um, But he's, yeah, he's so, I I think he'll be taking this very seriously. Yeah. Um, I think he'll he'll know a lot about that potion. I look forward to (laughs) one day asking about it. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Speaking of TV news, Ooh. and we were also speaking of Terry Pratchett earlier. We were. Mm-hmm. So The Watch is getting a TV show. It's going to be an eight-part thriller for BBC America, apparently. Mm. Um, and this is uh, enormously exciting news because I think Pratchett is borderline unadaptable, mm. but I think one of the more adaptable bits is The Watch um, mm. stories, which centre on... Um, Sometime alcoholic Captain Sam Vines, who is in charge of the night watch of the city, which is the sort of the dregs of the police service of Ankhmore Pork, which is the sort of giant metropolis that that forms the heart of the Discworld. And um, he's in charge of a city that is full of, as well as humans, trolls, goblins, uh, dwarves who are traditionally at war with the trolls, you know, vampires, the undead like everybody, and uh, has to kind of try and keep peace among them all. And he starts out with a very small team in the books, is joined by the heroic Captain Carrot, who is possibly the destined king of Ankhmore Pork, but never actually takes up his throne, becomes a policeman instead. Um, he's been raised as a dwarf, so even though he's six foot something, he he basically should look like um, Henry Cavill. Is that's yes. how Captain Carrot should be, but he considers himself very much a dwarf. Okay, um, and uh, and he's one of the the key officers. His girlfriend's a werewolf. Um, they're a fantastic team, and 
And they have they, they mention uh, other characters here. Lady Sybil, who becomes uh, Vine's love mm. interest, and um, Cheery, who's a forensic expert. She is a dwarf as well. Now they've called it, we've called her non-binary in this story, and I don't know if that language has come from the BBC press release. She's not really, but all dwarves dwarves are not very open about their gender. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because they all have beards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it, apparently, a, a large part of dwarf courtship is is trying to find out. If the other person is of the sex to which you are attracted, okay, um, this and is just cheery, like normal courtship. I don't understand. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, and and Cherry is uh, unusual in the books because she wears heels and puts ribbons in her hair. Okay, um, because she does consider unusually herself feminine. Girl. Unusually yeah. feminine mm-hmm. for a dwarf, mm-hmm. and this is considered slightly taboo busting. So okay. I I don't know if if that has come from the BBC report. That would be a change for her. Okay. Um, but we, sh- we yeah. shall see. So do you, as a Pratchett fan, is yeah. it accurate to say that there has not been a good Terry Pratchett adaptation at all? I remember there was The Colour of Magic, so. yes. which is, I think 2006. I got to go which on set of that. Which is totally the wrong one to adapt for a start. Which was David Jason and Sean yeah. Astin, um, and uh, it wasn't very good. David Jason is a huge fan, and I can, you know, he was really passionate about playing Rincewind. He's, he's not the Rincewind I would have in my head, but fair play. Yeah. But just... It's, they're really hard books to adapt. The, the tone of voice is really specific. Um, there's so much in the text that doesn't come across on screen, so you have to make up for it somehow. And you need really, really good actors and a really good script. And I, I a hope that as well, I a budget say. as well. I would, I, I would agree. I think mm. th- those those Sky adaptations were apparently enormously successful for the yeah. channel, as you would expect given the popularity of the books. I think at one point in the 90s, one percent of all books sold in the UK were Pratchett books. Mm. So he he is an enormously popular and important author. I genuinely consider him a modern Dickens. I think his especially his later books are incredibly deep. Uh, so okay. I hope that they can, if they're putting some weight now behind things like the Good Omens which is obviously with, written with um, Neil Gaiman um, and now this I hope that they'll get great great actors great okay. great scripts and make it work Speaking of fantasy and TV Do uh, Some big news on the Game of Thrones prequel series which is, of course is yes. the one that I don't think it's got a title yet but it's the one Jane Goldman and, and George R. R. Martin have been cooking up um, one of several that uh, HBO are kind of working on The it's, lead character has been cast I thought this was the one that they had chosen that they were going ahead with this one yeah, but they're developing some other ones. Are they still, as well. are they still going? Yeah. Oh, this ones? one is definitely happening. Yeah, um, but there are others that are bubbling away. Oh, I, I thought. Yeah, okay, well, that's cool. I thought this one had won the arms race, so to speak. I think that they're still. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, anyway, uh, Naomi Watts has been cast. Um, I don't think her character has a name yet, but she is a charming socialite with a dark secret. Ooh, and this is the one written by Jane Goldman. This is the Jane Goldman, a George R. R. Martin one, and um, yeah, it's set thousands of years before Game of Thrones. And it's kind of going to show the the fall of... So it's the golden age of, of Westeros. And okay. it's going to show how everything gets corrupted and messed up. And also apparently show the origins of the White Walkers. Interesting. So it sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited. So, yeah, stay tuned. In other news, I mean, we probably... It's not really like us to mention it, but there is some Marvel news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if people are interested Ugh. in that. You listen Loads to this podcast. Um, but there is another um, Disney TV series in the works. This one focusing on the Falcon and Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Cap's two boyfriends. Um, that's not me talking. That's something I heard directly from production on um, Civil War. Okay. So, yes, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan would be the focus of the series. Mm. And Empire TV producer Malcolm Spellman is apparently the man lined mm. up to write it. When we see, say Empire TV, we mean the TV show and not our forthcoming channel that's going to take over the world. That's not a thing 
I just made that. So this is like the second one because it was a Loki one that was being talked about. Loki and Scarlet Witch. A few have weeks been ago. About, so this yes. is so they're kind of developing to. This is really interesting to me. So I don't know what these shows are going to look like at all. No idea. I mean, again, it's a limited series. Um, uh, I've got no idea if it's meant to be set set in the past. If this means that they totally survive mm. uh, Infinity War, they totally do. Um, you know, uh, somebody was suggesting to me that it would start with, you know, two sad figures standing over a, a grave. Yeah. But I don't know who's going to die, so that doesn't make any sense. Don't you say that. Everyone's going to be very, fine. It's a very limited series. It's just... <laughs> just them sitting by a grave. Fades up, they're dead, fades back down again. No, no, um, I meant they'd be standing over Cap's grave. Well, yeah. it could be like a... Like, like Cap is not Beckett play, couldn't it? Waiting, <laughs> waiting, waiting for, for Cap. Cap. And they're just sitting waiting there. Waiting for Capo. <laughs> I'm here for that. That would yeah. be okay. You'd be there for pretty much anything. I'm I'm really here for this show. So <laughs> yeah. fairness. I'm more excited about the Loki one personally. Um I think that there's I don't know what that is, but just a series about Loki I think is gonna be really fun. Mm. Um but this sounds good too. Yes. It's gonna be some it. flying and stuff. Hey, you know the way we were talking about remakes of remakes earlier? <laughs> yeah. We missed one. Did we? Yeah. Okay. We missed Flash. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, but yeah, Flash as far Gordon. As, yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, it's Flash. Oh yeah, oh, I'm not a fan on. of that film. Well, oh. I'm not saying that film's great. No, true. But that character and that concept's been around for a very long time. True. Um, and apparently, uh, Julius Avery is now up to direct it. He's the Overlord. He is the Overlord slash Son of a Gun director. Yes. Okay. Which um, <laughs> sounds like descriptions of him, but they're actually <laughs> films. He's the Overlord. Films he's made. <laughs> Son of a Gun. But no, they're films he's made. Overlord and Son of a Gun. Yes. So um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of potential fun to be had with a pulpy Flash Gordon sort of mm-hmm. sh- film again. And yeah. Brian I'll Blessed must return. He must be. Oh, that would be wonderful. Blessed's yeah. alive! <laughs> I have a feeling he'll just crash the set even if yes. he's not invited. <laughs> Everyone! <laughs> oh God, you found us. Um, I, I love your story, Helen, about, about going to see Flash Gordon at Somerset House and Brian Blessed being in the audience yes. and bellowing his lines along with himself on the screen. It's like one of the funniest images. Weirdly, he, he wasn't in the audience. He, just, <laughs> he was 100 miles away. But, yeah. um, we could just hear him. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm on board for this. I, I, I like Flash Gordon. I, I, I don't love it, but I, I, I kind of, I'm glad it exists. Yeah. And uh, when I catch a bit on TV, I'm like, yeah. This I'm, is... I'm always amused by it, consistently yeah. amused. It's completely unique, I think. I don't yeah. think there's anything else like it. And the, Until, Queen, the, the Queen soundtrack is amazing as well. Mm. Yeah, listen, I'm not a big fan of the um, Mike Hodges film, but there's a really good chance that this one could be good. If you cast Robert Downey oh Jr. God. as Flash Gordon, right? Chris and, Hemsworth is obviously Flash Gordon. And Anna Kendrick as Ming the Merciless. <laughs> then you have yourselves, listen to this Hollywood friend, you have yourself one ticket sold. Hmm. Wow. One ticket sold. That's a guarantee, people. That That's is a, a guarantee. guarantee. No. David Walliams dressed up last night as Ming the Merciless. What is this? He did. Why do you have information about how famous people I are dressed up? I saw because they did a Halloween screening of Shaun of the Dead and uh, down at the BFI. Uh-huh. And uh, he and Edgar, like, he was interviewing Edgar on stage, and mm. they both uh, dressed up in Halloween gear. What so did Edgar wear? Edgar was um, a kind of a foppish vampire, as far as I could oh, see. I'm okay. not sure if it was based on... But a little he, bit uh, Taika Waititi, good, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. It looked oh. very um, what we did in the shadows. It might be based on something specific, but it was very... Um, yeah, he shaved his beard off and everything. Oh, so. oh gosh. Well, there commitment. Go. Uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7, let me just mention quickly, Yes, uh, has been in development limbo for a very long time. I think uh, Steven Spielberg was trying to get it made at one point. Uh, Aaron Sorkin was on to write it. He is now set up to direct as well. 
And Eddie Redmayne is apparently now in talks to Star. So this was the 1969 trial of, you guessed it, seven defendants charged with conspiracy by the federal government from uh, counterculture protests against... um, I think in, in 1968. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, uh, it was very, very uh, big news at the time. It seems mm-hmm. very timely now, that the theme of protest against yes. the US government that is maybe not doing the right thing. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen is apparently near a deal to play Abby Hoffman and Redmayne would be Tom Hayden, who was the co-founder of the Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, which was the big leader of the protests. So... Um, mm. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. I hope it'll be better than Molly's game. Oh, how, how could it possibly be better than Molly's game? Sorry, I, I, James isn't here. I have to do this. Yeah, no, which is really a four-star masterpiece. I it's really enjoyed Molly's game. Mm-hmm. I really sure, enjoyed it's it. Fine, it's the three-star film. Uh, yeah, I've just got one one more thing to to kind of wrap this up with. Unless mm-hmm. you have more stuff, I've got two more things. Go for it. Go for it. Knock yourself. I'm out. not sure you're going to be able to follow this, but um, <laughs> okay, it's a short one. Keith Keith Lemon dressed up as Venom last night. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> anyway, over to you. Jensen Ackles dressed up as the Red Hood. That was pretty cool. I love Jensen Ackles, who of course plays Sam or Dean on Supernatural. Dean. My sister's And who also voiced the Red Hood in the best Batman film. Did he now? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is... One of the best Batman films. So. <laughs> Backtracking. Entirely. Not okay. entirely. <laughs> My sister's over from Northern Ireland and uh, turns out she's a massive Supernatural fan. So there oh. you go. So I've been getting it from both ends, so to speak. Uh, so Kenneth Branagh, while we have been faffing around here in podcasts and magazines and the, and the like, Kenneth Branagh has been making a film entirely in secret. Have you heard about this? So he yeah. has made a film in which he plays William Shakespeare. It's called All Is True. And it's going to be coming out in the States in December. So you'd imagine it'll come out around here, in here, around about the same time, mm-hmm. uh, January, February. We knew that he was working on uh, Artemis Fowl, the, the Owen Culfer books. Uh, we knew he was working on that. We know he's prepping for Death in the Nile, uh, where he'll return as Poirot. That was pushed back a year. But I well, wonder if this maybe has something... to give him time to work on the moustache, <laughs> I mean. Mm. Uh, but now he's made this movie in secret with an incredible cast. So Judy Dench plays Anne Hathaway. Uh, Ian McKellen is the Earl of Southampton, who oh. Shakespeare followers will know it was an interesting figure, a pivotal figure in Shakespeare's life. I'm excited by this. And yeah. written by Ben Elton. And this is a, who, if anyone doesn't, if you don't watch Upstart Crow, it's really funny. It's a sitcom, David Mitchell stars as Shakespeare. Ben Elton wrote it. Very Blackadder-esque, but really, really good. And um, this is a much more serious dramatic take. So is Shakespeare returning to Stratford-upon-Avon after the globe burns down? Mm-hmm. And finding that his son has died as well, Hamlet, his son has died, and finding that, you know, he wants to apologise for the things that he's done in his life to his wife and his daughters. Mm. So he's taking stock of his life. That's pretty cool. Mm. I'm here for it. And you you got one really quick thing as well. I do, yeah. Uh, Ava DuVernay has announced that she is working on a Prince documentary. So she's already been doing this. It's only been announced this week, but she's well into the work. Uh, She said, Prince was a genius and a joy and a jolt to the senses. The only way I know how to make this film is with love and great care. Um, I'm honoured to do so and grateful for the opportunity entrusted by the estate. So the estate reached out to her Mm -hmm. to make this film. She, of course, has a background in documentary before she made Mm -hmm. Selma. Um, And uh, and yeah, I think this is really exciting. So they've opened up archives. They've they've got recordings, unreleased material. Mm -hmm. They've set up interviews. He apparently talked to her himself before he died about collaborating on something. So it just seems um, pretty exciting. But yeah, a Prince documentary has got to be a good news. That's got to, that's got to have some stories. How exciting. Indeed. Very on board for that as well. Uh, finally, we're going to round off the movie news section by saying that it is New Empire time. Woo! The new issue of Empire is out now. It's on sale in all good 
and Evil News Agent, and of course digitally as well on the iPad. And it is a cracking issue. A cracking mm. issue. Mm. I nearly killed us, but it's a cracking <laughs> issue. Uh, it is, and I know it's only November, but it's a review of the year mm. issue. And it uh, features a cornucopia of incredible content. Uh, so it's basically counted down our films of the year. And we have extraordinary access inside. Uh, we interviewed Emily Blunt and John Krasinski about A Quiet Place. Together. Together. Uh, Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie. Together. About Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. Uh, Guillermo del Toro talked to us exclusively about his experience um, at the Oscars, winning the Oscars, and what it means to him. That's a really moving interview as well, a very emotional interview. Uh, and it's just loads and loads of great stuff in there, as well as our 20 films of the year. And number one <laughs> might surprise you. <laughs> it might surprise it you. It might surprise you, unless you remember that Chris and I were among those voting. <laughs> This is true. It was my number one too. Hey. So there we go. My God, we all us. love Bohemian Rhapsody that much. <laughs> it's incredible. There's loads of other great stuff inside the issue as well. Terry White, our esteemed leader, went to Sweden and hung out with Dolph Lundgren, which is yes. a, a lot of fun. We have a feature about Mortal Engines, the latest movie from Peter Jackson and his mentee, Christian Rivers. Uh, we have Bumblebee. Nick spoke to Travis Knight and the good people behind Bumblebee. Uh, to try and explain to you how this is a Transformers film worth caring about. Yep. We also have a look at the tumultuous production history of American History X. This is actually an amazing feature. Alex uh, Godfrey spent days and days with Tony Kay, who's mm. obviously the, the very eccentric creator of American History X, um, and the, the story behind the making of that film is unbelievable. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, it's a pretty wild read. Is there any truth to the rumour that Edward Norton then locked Alex out of his uh, flat <laughs> and wrote the feature himself? Yeah, that, that may be true. Okay. <laughs> It's not true, by the way. It's not true. I lawyer up. That one's not true. Uh, the Sorry. news section has loads of stuff in there as well, uh, like news and things. Got a fresh look at Roma. Sorry to bother you. Stars born. That's already out, but it's something about Stars born. So it's not a first look. Anyway, ignore me. Shut up. Uh, and in my section, review. J.A. Bayona talks about Fallen Kingdom. Tony Todd and Virginia Manson talk about Candyman. I talked to the director of Hudson Hawk, Michael Lehman, and the writer Daniel Waters about that tumultuous shoot. Uh, it's a film I genuinely deeply love. And Paul Schrader talks about his new film, First Reformed, and says, I'm not making this up, that he doesn't believe humanity will reach the end of the century. So what's the fucking <laughs> point of anything? Nevertheless... Empire Magazine, on sale now, and all good and evil news agents. Read it while you're awaiting the apocalypse. Yeah. Time now for this week's guests. Uh, we love Simon Pegg and Nick Frost at Empire. We have done ever since they were knee-high to a zombie back in, well, Spaced, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and their numerous side projects. Paul, as well, they did that together. And their numerous side projects as well. They are, of course, BFFs, and they are collaborating now. They have a new production company called Stolen Picture, and their first venture is out this week. It's opened already, opened on Halloween. It's called Slaughterhouse Rules, and it's directed by Crispian Mills, who worked with Peg on A Fantastic Fear of Everything a few years ago. And, of course, it's the front man of Cooler Shaker as well. That's exciting. This one's a bit weirder. It's a horror action comedy. Peg and Frost take supporting roles. They're very much taking playing second fiddle here to a group of youngins, including Finn Cole, Asa Butterfield, and Hermione Corfield. But nevertheless, as producers and co-stars, they came into the booth uh, a couple of weeks ago to have a chat with me about it. Now, this one goes off the rails a little bit, and it goes into some adult areas shall we say so if you feel that you might be a little bit little bit skittish a little bit squeamish about some 
blue material, then skip this one. What the hell did you talk to them about? Why, it, Chris? It, it, it was it all you, basically? It, it was Nick. Nick Frost is <laughs> amazingly funny and very rude. And and I kind of went along with it. And then, and then anyway, enjoy. It's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, anyway. Enjoy. Enjoy. Good day. Delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the producers of Slaughterhouse Rules. And I believe you're in it as well. Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. How are you guys? Hello. Co-producers. <laughs> Co-producers. Yeah, oh, jeez. There's lots of us. But there, there is, there's also the amazing Charlotte Walls at uh, Catalyst. Wonderful lady. Global Meads. Just had a baby. Oh, and, very nice. Uh, and the good people at Sony Pictures International as well. <laughs> it's worth saying that. Because they're outside. Yes. Listening to every word you yeah. say. Because they're big fans of the Empire Podcast. Small they love it. Poison explosive ball in our necks, and we're... <laughs> I've got small poison explosive balls. <laughs> Is it like wedlock? Do you have collars around your yeah. your necks? And yeah. Then if you say it's something, not everything has to be a film, Chris. But yeah, it does. I think it does, Simon. <laughs> the PGA. <laughs> I think it does. Uh, we'll set it off if we say something. <laughs> wedlock. If I didn't have film references, I think I would just be a lifeless husk. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you, you need to go about your new book, Chris. You don't need <laughs> film references to be a lifeless husk. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about and not a lot of talk, uh, time to talk about it in. So obviously, let's get to the big one. You guys were talking about this a little bit. Who should be on the fifty-pound note? Uh, Boris. <laughs> Boris. <laughs> Boris the Spider. That would be awful. Not the person who has currently turned this part of London into a shit show. <laughs> Which I is mean, one of the reasons why we have a lot, not yeah. a lot of time to talk who about. Who would we? Someone, I think, suggested, I saw David Bowie. Derek oh, Griffiths. That would be nice. Derek Griffiths would be nice. Mm-hmm. You? Um, I, I'd be up for that. Would you go for it, Nick? Yeah, I'd go for yeah. it. I think Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the, here's the, here's the thing. All right, say, for example... Big someone, <laughs> like a big, fat guy pulling his anus apart <laughs> and the very edge of a fat shit sticking out of its <laughs> rectum than have Donald Trump on him. I was yeah. watching the news as well my girlfriend she said I can't look at him <laughs> and she left I was like never been more in love with you. <laughs> Uh, thank God we had this place swapped out. It was Trump wallpaper until yesterday. Uh, Just all over the place. Crikey. I think there's that weird thing, and I, I've been responsible for doing it too, but it, it's it's easy to make jokes about the devil. Mm. It, and that way we kind of turn him into a, a figure of fun. But mm. in fact, it's incredibly destructive and very divisive and utterly frightening if you have children where you think, mm. you know what, I need an exit plan should the shit go down. To take this one step further, because I like the idea of you being on the fifty-pound note. Yeah. I like the idea of you both being on the fifty-pound note. Shirtless. <laughs> yeah. What one shot from your careers would you choose to be on the fifty-pound note? Say, for example, you didn't have time to, to sit for a, a portrait a artist. Portrait. Right. You could use any, anything from any film, any TV show. That that picture from Shaun of the Dead that people are always doing. Well, the face swap. It, uh, right. Do you know what I mean? They send it like we've never seen it before. Hey, have you guys seen this? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the reasons I left social media because I kept kept getting that picture. Um, maybe, maybe some, uh, maybe there's a shot of us like, uh, which isn't actually from a set, but just us doing press or something like that and just having a bit of a lol. Yeah, okay. something that you know, a I think rich the, yuppie doing a line of coke through it would look at it for a second and think, <laughs> "I love these guys." Maybe that, maybe the moment, the, when, the moment when we were t- talking about something and you came up with the, Har- <laughs> the Harry Potter spell, Analbedorium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, fine. You know, I cast a spell on Rupert Grimm when we did 
um, sick note. Sick note because he couldn't stop laughing through my singles, which is the most <laughs> annoying thing. What did you do on him? I cast Giggles Begonium. <laughs> That made it uh, worse. It, well, it did. The first AD had to send him off, and I just did it to <laughs> someone reading the lines off. Amazing. A bit oh, of BTS there for you. I love it when the curtain's pulled back. Uh, but yes, you guys are oh. co-producer, the curtain. Right. The, uh, should I specify which type of curtain? Yeah. Yeah, no. the, the felt curtain. The yeah. anal. Yeah. <laughs> Not the, the anal curtain. Oh, oh, Nick. Oh, no. It's, it's gone there already. It's a good name um, for an actor. Starring <laughs> anal curtain. <laughs> Anal, actually. <laughs> anal curtain. Why does everyone call it anal? It's anal. It's the pronounced anal. <laughs> anal curtain. <laughs> anal curtain. <laughs> we were from the Pasadena curtains. Starring anal curtain. <laughs> As rectal blister. <laughs> As ripped anus. <laughs> Anyway, back oh, to film. That's the next one. That's the next film. Uh, so this is you are you've, you've produced before, but does this feel different? Because this is the first time that it's through your your new company, Stolen Picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what happened was basically that Crispian, who I'd worked with before, um, showed me the script. Crispian Mills, mm-hmm. and uh, who I'd worked with on Fantastic Fear of Everything, and uh, I read it and um, liked it, and I thought maybe I can get behind it a little bit. At this point, Nick and I were in the early stages of creating Stolen Picture and thought it might be quite a nice thing to sort of um, kick off with under that banner um, as it was a horror comedy. And obviously, mm-hmm. we, we've mm-hmm. done horror comedy in the past. And um, oh, have you? Nick was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and so it is, but it's very much a co production. You know, it, it's not sort of our first film, it's, it's, it's one of the first things that we've collaborated on. Yeah. And, um, and it's nice to have the name of the company up front at yeah. the top of the movie, I guess. I mean, yeah, in terms yeah. of producing other bits and pieces, I think you just naturally, or we have naturally got to that place where, because of the body of work you've done, you have a voice, mm-hmm. and you're allowed to say things. And, and also it helps get the films and, get made. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of a nice thing. It wasn't like a big... We didn't have to go to producer college yet, you know. But I didn't <laughs> no. know what we, and might we didn't have to. really. Charlotte at uh, Catalyst did all the really hard producing work. Yeah. That you know, the, the number crunching and all that kind of stuff. What Nick and yeah. I did was was bring a little bit of um, you know prior knowledge yeah. to the whole thing okay. and, and help get the green light. Okay. And also had a you know a, a, a say in terms of certain creative decisions. And also we took cameo roles in the movie as well. But I, I, I hasten to add, this is not a kind of Conato film. It's not Nick and yeah. my film by any means. We're only in one scene together, and that was written hastily. <laughs> <laughs> that was a reshoot because Sony didn't like the fact we weren't in it together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in this, in the tradition of great films like Morons from Outer Space, uh, it's a uh, it's a you know a comedy <laughs> double act who never actually intersect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to ask about that scene actually. I wasn't sure if I could even mention the fact that you were in the movie together, but cat's out of the bag now. Well, that's yeah. it. It's there. We it's drift, done. We drift into each other's transom briefly and look at each other and <laughs> wink at the camera and go, Whoa. Yeah. Like yes, you can't yeah. see me doing that, but I'm going yeah. to make this noise. Yeah, it's Simon like just... in Cuban Fury when you rock up. Yeah, when I drive past in the car. <laughs> just to yeah. say, why are you doing this film? Why are you doing, why are you doing a film without me? <laughs> why are you doing this film? <laughs> but, but um, no, yeah. it was, it was, um, it was, uh, it was <laughs> a shooter version when you drove past and said, how come you know Chris O'Dowd? <laughs> Where did you meet Chris O'Dowd? Where did you meet Chris O'Dowd? What does he have that I don't? An Irish accent. Oh, this is true. And a huge thing. This is true. Oh, guys. Hey. hey. Come on. Yours is really wide. <laughs> Yours Simon. is like a pillar of meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
It's a Pilar. Which is my new album. <laughs> Mind you, we did start out with you talking about someone distending their own anus. Yeah, such was my hatred. This is true. Of Trump. And then an Al Curtain, and so here and we move are. on, and here we are. <laughs> here we now we're here, Pillar yeah. of Meat in the new album. An Al Curtain in his new film, Pillar of Meat. <laughs> So we're going to throw to a clip now from Pillar of Meat. <laughs> oh, God, I wish. Call it a slice. I wish I could hear Mark Commode reviewing Pillar of Meat. <laughs> that would be amazing. But yeah, it's a very, very different film from Fantastic Fear of Everything. I mean, I was actually surprised by how expansive it is and how confident Crispian is behind the camera in this one. Given yeah. That it's it is, yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it was a bigger film and uh, we had a little bit of, uh, you know, the weight of Sony Pictures International behind us as well, which enabled us to be a little bit more expansive. And Crispian, I think he's very assured as a director. I think, you know, he's kind of grown up around film. He's been around it his entire life and um, he's got Roy Bolting as a father, let alone, you know, Hayley Mills and uh, John Mills in his family. So um, he's very at home on a film set. He, he moves very fast. He's not sort of... Um, Particularly pedantic as a director, he's very he's 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 sure of what he wants and he moves mm-hmm. on when he gets it. So it was yeah, and and I think the film actually looks a lot bigger than we ever expected it to. The creature effects are fantastic. Yeah, well, we had a, we had a physical monster on set with us as well. Hey, come on, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know, well, you've changed. Um, and we uh, we also we always knew that would be augmented by VFX, but we wanted to have something to interact with. And if we hadn't had the creature on set with us, we wouldn't have got the glorious moment when it's hideous tongue plopped into my mouth which was a complete accident which we kept in the oh mood. really yeah oh, cool. I actually knew it was going to fall out and I turned my head guessing when it would drop and open my mouth in the hope that it would happen and it did quite beautifully and um, it was a moment that my dignity was evaporated entirely <laughs> but I think it worked well for the film oh I think it had gone before then do you think years I ago I think that probably. was the that was the period my dignity evaporated the day I said yes Edgar <laughs> oh. Yeah, mine too. Nick, have you retained your dignity over oh, the years? No. 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 <laughs> Look at this tiny chair I'm sitting on. No. <laughs> this is true. Because uh, Nick had some chair problems when we came in. I and mean, we had some microphone problems as well. It's been a clusterfuck from well, the beginning. Well, I have uh, my people are mountainous. We're the Welsh folk. We're mountain people. So to get up on a high chair is always a real faff for me. So I'd rather yeah. sit low and yeah. um, have a good centre of grass. But what it means is up. I can literally only see your eyes. Yeah. Just peeking over the monitor. It's the best bit. <laughs> you could be. You could have stripped naked for all I know. Ah, he probably has. Mm, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll you see how my balls in a minute. <laughs> Here we go. Pillar of meat. This, this is live. Is <laughs> <laughs> this is being broadcast live to the internet right now. Uh, there's a lovely thread that runs through the film because you guys play adults and Michael Sheen plays an adult as well. But they, the adults are clueless in this movie, mm. and the kids uh, are the ones who ha- mostly have it all together. Yeah. Clearly a very deliberate thing from, from Crispian. And also th- th- this movie seems to have some, I don't know whether he, how he feels about uh, private school education, public school education, but well, he yeah. went to Stowe, yeah. Yeah. which is what the, where we filmed as well. And um, it, it, it's a reflection on his own sort of um, navigation through that system, I think, as well. He yeah. was going back there. To, and our DP actually had been there as well. I think they were both going back to destroy Lovely. it. John de Borman. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Something. interesting. Yeah, but the film very much belongs to the kids, and um, I say kids, they're all in their 20s, I guess. But um, One of them's at least 45, Yeah, I would say. <laughs> Me, that. Um, but they're, they're, it, it's a film about a group of young people, you know, and as such, yeah. we're there to, to sort of shepherd them through it, but... Mm. Uh, Ultimately, it's it's their it's their picture. It's oh, their so. gig. It's their gig. This is the first time you're doing something through a stolen picture. Not not the last. What's what's next? I hope not. It might be. 
You think? Yeah. Go out. Through stolen pets. I think we only one ever wanted to do one co-produced film, so I think <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Sell the company for our, <laughs> I think our, our we're good quid. now. You went through all the rigmarole of starting up a company, hiring people, getting a logo made, yeah, yeah. all that stuff, and then just... Th- is our logo at the beginning? Done. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I think oh, it is. Cool. I don't know if you're listening to this in the office, but guys, just to reiterate, you have been fired. No, and we've this, got a, we've got a slate, it. and it's a very real slate. And um, is it an actual slate? Yeah, and we've got Ooh, and mainly yeah. going to be television, to be honest, because that's kind of where the, you know, financially speaking, um, it, it's all happening at the moment. You know, mm. the the evolution of television has been amazing, and um, is an, enables you to do essentially large scale movies, you know, in, in an episodic way. Uh, although they won't be theatrically exhibited, obviously. But we, we, we'll do films for the love of it when we get a moment. And um, But generally speaking, we've got a number of projects and they're not all, you know, comedy and they're not all horror. They're, mm. they're, there's some drama there. There's a variety of stuff. We're quite excited yeah. about what we have coming up. You know? I think it's interesting. I think what was interesting is the fact that we... I think it's easy to say, let's start a production company. Yeah. And then you do it. And then I think it was kind of... You know, it, it was quite a sober wake up to realise we now have to run a company. You <laughs> Thankfully, know, we, we have a it's great not, it's CEO. Not just, we do have an amazing CEO, a man called Miles Kettley, who's in, incredible and and vibrant and uh, capable. But it, you know, it's not just him doing it. We need to do that too as people, and it's that's the nuts and bolts of I've never done that before. You yeah, know, it's, it's fine getting to... a script and saying I think this works, so or I think one let's say this, or the third act could be. But but then getting into a, a place where you're having to produce something you know yeah that's kind of a great learning curve personally for me i think it's Agreed. it's an it's an interesting part of the business that i never knew existed i knew what we do in front of the camera mm. but i didn't know how a company made money <laughs> i know that sounds bonkers but it was like i had no idea how that bit worked you know overheads and turnover and yeah profit i mean and all what stuff. does it what does all that mean <clears throat> yeah. you know and just the, what happens to get something made? You know, it's it, it seems easy to think, well, we, we did these films, so then that will be easy. But it just is not the case. You know, it needs to be a whole package. Absolutely. And it's interesting learning how that works. It's given me a newfound respect for Naira Park, who we've worked with for years. Yeah. And, because I never respected it before. <laughs> now I really do. Your respect was here, and now it's... It's slightly higher. Yeah. Very last thing, because uh, people aren't gesticulating wildly for us to wrap up. Because uh, the uh, office is on fire. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of us has a Hollywood-style hard out, but I won't say who uh, or even what a hard out is. Stolen picture, the, the title, where did it come from? And is it hard to agree on something when there's two of you or are you a hive mind still? No, it was kind sense? of easy. It was going to be at first for a little bit fried gold films, but I think fried gold is more skewed to to me. And then we thought about a few... Th- I mean, we literally only thought for about an hour. Yeah. And then I texted Simon to say, well, what about Stolen Picture? Because that was something that was important to both of us and it's part of our history. And it comes from the fact that there was a pub that we used to drink in, uh, The Shepherds, which became the pub in the Winchester Inn. And it, on the way to the toilet, it had a big cork board. And on the cork board were lots of photographs of, uh, you know, a New Year's Eve, 1978. And... You know, just the pub's history. And in the middle was a picture of um, their German shepherd dog called Bobby. And mm. it was a kind of slightly blurred picture. And in it, because of Bobby's cataract, uh, there was a big lens flare from his right eye. And he also had a little boner. And it always made us laugh as a picture because you could see the pink glare of the boner and the eye, the cataract <laughs> shining bright. 
And one drunk night, I took the picture, and uh, I'd never told anyone, and I kept it in my like in a in a book uh-huh. for nine months because there was a lot of fallout. Oh my like god! Like I went in the next day and having a quite a pint, and you could hear John saying, "Someone fucking took Bobby's picture." And then it was like, <laughs> oh, it really rumbled on for weeks and weeks, like people saying who did it, and and then like a year later, I went to Simon. And I said, "It was me." Oh my god. You opened the book and it just flopped out. It was like the telltale heart. Yeah. He'd, he'd heard Bobby panting at night. But that became that me panting. That became the uh the idea for the title of the of the I don't think John and Bernie, who were the pub landlord and lady of the Shepherds, who are who are name checked in Shaun of the Dead as well, actually. They're called the landlord and lady are John and Bernie. I don't think to this day they realise that Nick wronged them in this way, and I hope now it comes out and you are fully punished. Oh, okay, imagine that. I went to prison. <laughs> Oh God! Maybe I'll, I'll I'll change the names to protect the innocent. People will be listening oh, yeah, now because a lot of the old regulars at the Shepherds were big yeah. Empire podcast fans. Yeah, They'll huge. Be it was him. It was Nick yeah. Frost all along. It was Frosty. <laughs> String him up. John was String funny, up, right? We used to enjoy watching. We used to watch University, University Challenge with John on a Monday. We used to go in and watch it. We're the only ones. And it was the just me and Simon night. sat up at the bar eating a sandwich of chips and drinking. And John, what? And we all watched. University Challenge, and then, like... If we got one question right. If we were geniuses. <laughs> you two bloody geniuses. <laughs> and the question was, like, the easiest one on University Challenge that day. Oh, my God. Right. Lots of people... People are, like, dragging us out of here now. I so, got yes. Simon Pegg, <laughs> the, head, the head of Nick Frost, Hello. stars of Pillar of Meat. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. That was Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, and that was a lot of fun, or at least the bits that I kept in. So let's now talk about the films that are out this week in the cinemas for you to see, and we're going to start with quite a serious film, a hard-hitting film, a Mike Lee film, Peter Lou. Helen, tell us about this. Yes, um, probably not to be sung to the tune of Waterloo by ABBA. No, do um, not do that. Do not do that. This is Especially about... Especially not to Mike Lee's face. Really not. Uh, this is uh, the story of the Peterloo Massacre, um, which was uh, a major moment in uh, the history of uh, democracy, actually, in this country. So um, it was a peaceful pro-democracy rally um, uh, in the 1820s, sorry, 1819, um, when not everyone had the vote. You had to be a, a landowning man of a certain age with a certain value of land owned um, which led to laws like the corn laws which uh, caused huge suffering for everyday people um, led to you know complete lack of representation for working working class people and was basically a bad thing mm-hmm. yay for voting we should all do that <laughs> yes. anyway um, especially if you're in America this week hello uh, so, <laughs> this <laughs> this is about the sort of the run-up to that massacre, the run-up, um, the situation on the ground, the kind of people involved, the, the activists who were trying to get people together, led by the Manchester Observer, um, John Knight, played by Philip Jackson, among mm-hmm. those people. Um, there's the arrogant kind of awful but also wonderful speaker Henry Hunt who was a major campaigner he's played by Rory Kinnear he is the, the most hissable hero I think I've seen <laughs> in a long time do you know what I mean because yeah. he is right about yeah. everything yeah. he says but he's also just the worst person he's so obnoxious um, and then you have a an, an ordinary family to sort of represent the people on the ground with Maxine Peake as Nelly the sort of the matriarch of that family uh, her young son has just come back from fighting in the wars uh, David Morst um, who plays Joseph has come back from fighting for England at Waterloo um, a few years before. He's he's scarred in body and mind. 
find and he is uh, really struggling to mm-hmm. find work mm-hmm. and they represent the sort of you know little microcosm of the, of the mm-hmm. average people on the ground um and it all builds towards you know spoiler the peterloo massacre uh, yeah. where where basically the um the yeomanry and the 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 army rode against these uh, mm-hmm. peacefully mm-hmm. Uh, gathered people in mm-hmm. a square at St Peter's Field in Manchester, and it was a, a, a bloody and notorious event even at the time. It's a brutal sequence. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really brutal. It's really quite shocking. Piece of English history that I did not know about. I mean, I, I did because I'm a big lefty, but I didn't know a lot of the background that, that's in this. And, and I think it's good. I think we shouldn't just tell stories about kings and queens. We need to tell these kind of stories about normal people. Um, so I think that's really, really important to do. And I think it, it, it's sort of correct and oversight in that respect. Um, it is a film, though, with a lot of people going into rooms and talking at other people uh, for about two hours before you get to the the event itself in question. So do be warned that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the talking is actually a lot of it is fascinating and really mm-hmm. interesting and mm-hmm. really well played. Um, but it is there is a lot of talking. You have to be wary. I liked all the um, competition between all the different speechwriters, yes. and it gave a really funny sense of just that world of the egos involved. I thought Rory Kinnear was fantastic. Yeah, as, so good. As the, the Wilshire Peacock, as he's called by someone else. And I really enjoyed like all of his scenes. Um, so, so I thought it was a little bit unfocused. I thought they, he was trying to do a little bit too much, maybe, yeah. with trying to cover so many different strata of society and jumping around. And um, It is extremely long, yeah. and um, I found it a bit of an exhausting experience. I liked a lot about it, but, um, yeah, I thought it was maybe could have focused on a few fewer characters maybe and, and developed them a bit more. I, I kind of tend to think the same. and I, I almost would have liked to have seen a bit more of, a, of an epilogue, I mm-hmm. guess, with, with a bit more detail about how this mm-hmm. changed things. Um, but there, there isn't even one of those title cards at the end going, you know, two years later they passed the blah, 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 law and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Literally he doesn't even do any of that. And, and I'm, I'm sure that's a very conscious choice, um, but I think it might be useful to those people who don't know so much about the history. So um, <laughs> Yes, which is probably Mike Lee's way of saying, Read, read up, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah read which is absolutely fair. But um. <laughs> he should have just given a list of further reading. <laughs> Four stars then for Mike Lee's Peter Lou, by far his biggest, most ambitious movie. So check that out this week. Next up, we have the new Disney movie, Nutcracker and the Four Realms. And this one went through a little bit of production mm. problems, didn't it? We have two directors listed in this one. Yeah, Lasse Hallstrom and Joe Johnson, both of whom are very good directors. Um, but uh, apparently Hallstrom wasn't, wasn't available for the reshoots and Johnson stepped in and, and also worked with a lot of the effects stuff. So they've ended up being both credited. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously based on the Nutcracker, the ballet and the short story which inspired the ballet. Um, and I'll be honest, I, my expectation of this were in the toilet. They were absolutely as low as possible and it was a pleasant surprise uh, to me. I think it, it actually works pretty well in the end. Uh, Mackenzie Foy uh, plays Clara, who's a young, very science-minded girl um, who, with her brother and sister and her father, played by Matthew McFadden, um, are mourning the death of her mother. And uh, it's Christmas time and she goes to her godfather's house. That's Do- Drosselmeyer, played by Morgan Freeman. She's basically been given this kind of uh, almost like a Fabergé egg that her mother left for her, but it's locked. She doesn't have a key. And uh, her mother says that, you know, everything you need will be found within. So she's desperate to open this box. So she's looking for this key. And in the search for it, she ends up going through this mysterious portal in her godfather's house, which leads her to these four realms. Um, So that's kind of the... That's quite a lot of realms to pack into. It's a lot of realms. I mean, it's basically literally like 
flowers and candy oh, and okay. winter and amusements are the four realms. Okay. But one of them is war with the others, led by Mother Ginger, oh. played by Helen Mirren. Damn her. Damn her. So uh, Sugar Plum, played by Keira Knightley, uh, and the others are sort of uh, in, locked in this sort of struggle against her. Um the Others, by the way, is one of the areas that's clearly seen some cuts because Richard E. Grant is the King of Winter and has about three lines. Oh Mira Sayal turns up for, again, two lines at the beginning and is never seen again. So there's clearly been a lot of chopping and changing. Mm. But where this film works is where it indulges in this ludicrously over-the-top sort of uh, Christmas card journey. Uh, and I, I don't mean that entirely as a negative. It is outrageously luxurious costumes, props, design. It's super over the top, mm. but completely beautiful. And it's not usually CG overload. There's a couple of moments, but generally speaking, what you're seeing is, is mostly wow. real on screen. Or what, the impressive stuff is mostly real. Um, and Mackenzie Foy is is cute. Um, Keira Knightley is having a great time as the as the Sugar Plum Fairy. Um, and there's even a dance break in the middle with Misty Copeland, who's the obviously prima ballerina of, I think, the New York Ballet. So it's, so it's actually quite fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's incredibly, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but this is incredibly girly. I mean, this is... This I was is wondering like, who the target audience this is. This is like a tulle princess dress with a, <laughs> with a matching tiara and some matching sparkly shoes. Like, it could not be more girly. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. I'm there. I think, it, honestly, I think it's going to go massively over with the Frozen crowd. Okay. <laughs> That's a crowd who's, like, into Frozen. Not, they're, yeah. They're not physically Frozen. They're not physically okay. Frozen. And the music is good? The, well, the music is the Nutcracker, so it's pretty, oh. pretty solid. They haven't, like, they haven't put a hip-hop beat on it. <laughs> They've added in some bits, but it's, it's very much rooted in. Okay. okay. Fantastic. Three stars then for the Nutcracker and the Four Realms... Just imagine how many stars it would have got if it had five realms. Just <laughs> just imagine that. Or maybe nine. Then it could have been part of the MCU. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so also out this week, we have Slaughterhouse Rules. The official Empire Review isn't up yet. Uh, all I can say is I thought this was good fun. Uh, lots of gore. It throws everything at the wall. Not all of it sticks. Keep your eyes peeled for the official Empire Review as well. And we also get four stars to the Nick Hornby adaptation, Juliet Naked, which sees uh, Ethan Hawke as a an aging rocker romance Rose Byrne uh, and her boyfriend Chris O'Dowd who happens to be a fan of The Rocker watches on uh, with envy so four stars for that one as well and that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by Chris Pine Chris Pine Chris Pine and David McKenzie uh, to talk about their new Netflix movie Outlaw King how exciting until then until that auspicious occasion until we meet again it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from Nick DeSemlian. Pip, pip. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to camp out in the West End until they bring back Peter Pan Goes Wrong. I mean it. I want to see it, guys. Starring, of course, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, God. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <sighs> Bye. <laughs>